Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 438. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you're here to join us today. And I'm thrilled to introduce our guest, Spike Edwards. Spike is the big cheese and a business coach from the Spike Edwards Group. Spike, welcome so much. Welcome so much. I don't know if that came out properly. Welcome. And I'm so happy to have you here. Well, thank you, Kim, and uh, it's good to be here on the uh, Positive Productivity Podcast. Now, there's a mouth. You're so welcome. Sometimes I can't even get positive productivity out properly because the word productivity just doesn't sound right to me. There was a time when I was batch recording all the little numbered intros that come at the beginning of the episode, and productivity just didn't sound right. Like I, I was just sitting there laughing at myself. Do you ever have that, Spike? Like, yes, sometimes you do, especially being a uh, a speaker from the stage. Words like productivity do have trouble coming out when they get stuck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd love if you would share a little bit of your story and your journey with the listeners so they understand how you got to where you are today. Well, it all started and we'll go right back to the start when I was born. <laughs> but uh, no, sure. I was. Um, yeah, how, yeah, how big sure. were you? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I was uh, raised on a small country farm in Australia. Uh, we had some two and a half thousand sheep, 600 head of cattle. And basically, I grew up on the farm with three generations at that time, because my father was a fifth generation Australian farmer. And with three generations on a farm, any of your listeners listening will know that there's really not enough work in this day and age for three complete families on a farm. So... At the age of eight, I had made a decision either to become a doctor or to go into the army. And I just had my appendix out. And the doctor wasn't, he was just one of those informative doctors. So I thought, hmm, that's not who I want to be. So I decided to become a soldier. Now, when I got to 15, I found out that there were apprentices in the military. So I became at the age of 15, a military apprentice, and I've worked on everything from lawnmowers up to tanks. And my last job, I actually ran all the equipment for the Special Forces Organisation in Australia. So that, that was the level of training that I got there. Now, along the way from that apprenticeship, I uh, went to Special Forces, and at the time, that was not the best job for me because I wasn't a qualified Special Forces person. So I really had to put up with a them and them and us scenario. And then about two years into that job, they actually uh, signaled me in the middle of a desert and said, look, would you like to become a special forces operative? And I said, it's better than what I'm doing at the moment. <laughs> Best I go do that course. And so they threw me on a selection course to become a special forces uh, operative. From there, I passed the uh, what they call the selection course, uh, got my beret. This is in Australia, so it's uh, SAS. Went on to then be trained in industrial engineering, total quality management. And at the same time, and what I didn't know, the military was teaching me heaps of leadership and how to train people. And I ended up being a crusty old warrant officer. And that, for those that don't know what a warrant officer is, that's a... Uh, the old sergeant major, that, well, the drill sergeant that's at the end of the program yelling and screaming at everyone. Well, I found it was better to talk to them nicely and get a lot more productivity. And basically, when I left the military, I simply took that into the industries that I went into, which was um, earth mover tyres. That's what was with Bridgestone, the, the big giant tyres. And then the oil and gas industry and a, and a few other minor industries around the, the way but they all had one thing that I worked on was unlocking the profits inside their business by connecting productivity and profits with safety. And that just sent every business I went into, just sent their profits, just launched into outer space um, almost overnight when, once you get that connection humming. Yeah. It sent, it didn't sink, right? 
You said it oh, sent no. it sent their profits in the outer space. I can That's see a right. lot of companies worrying about putting that money in because it's like they don't see the return in safety. Like they just don't see how it's going to make the money. Yeah, and that that is a, a very good statement. What I've found over the years is what they do is they hold back, and I think it's the same as anything in life. They hold back because they're not sure if it works, and they don't commit. Those companies that commit over a 10-year period, there's even Harvard studies on this, over a 10-year period, if they do it correctly, can have up to 700% increases in their profits. And isn't that so true in so many businesses from the big ones down to the little ones like me, just I'm a solopreneur who's finally really building a team, like putting my, I'm committing to growing a team now and I can see how the profits will happen. But until I really committed to it, it's like, meh. Exactly, exactly, Kim. And, and that that is the perfect statement. You just capsulize what I actually sell corporations around the world in, in that one paragraph. What would you say is the biggest struggle to get anybody to commit? And I know that's a really vague question. If you can just maybe take one example of the resistance a company was throwing back at you. I don't think resistance is the right word. Oh, you're right. It's the right word. <laughs> but I, I let me tell you, if you don't mind me sharing this, like mm-hmm. my resistance to growing my team was that I had done it in the past wrong so I doubted my ability to do it right but I know that when you're dealing with huge companies they might not be looking at the resistance might be coming from a different level it comes from many levels what are some of the most common the industry is an interesting beast because there are so many levels an example I'll give you is uh, we're working with a fortune 500 company they had a rather large disaster in the middle of the South China Sea. And that's how I normally get called into projects. There is a, a, there's either been a fatality or a, maybe a uh, unauthorised release of hydrocarbons. That's a nice word for saying a big bang in the middle of the ocean. And we get called in and you've got a lot of people covering up what they didn't do. You've got a lot of uh, people that are not competent. You've got a lot of people that are trying so hard that they're overdoing it. So there are a lot of areas that fall into this bucket. But the key area is I don't walk into that business unless I find someone like you. You stepped across the line and you said, I'm going to do this. And until you get one of them, you can't make a difference in that business. I can see that. And I can understand, I mean, coming from, I was in corporate before I started my business, this round of right. business, and I can understand the reservation about admitting when mistakes are made. Because let me tell you, Spike, I made plenty. I was an interior <laughs> architect and right. I was sleep deprived and I assigned a whole school's worth of wall colors to go on their ceilings and the ceiling colors to go on the walls. Oh, yeah. good one. But I was sleep deprived and I didn't have the support I needed and I, and I didn't admit I needed help until it was too late. Yeah. And I can see how that would be the case in so many large corporations. You know, people don't oh. want to admit, and even in small one-person, you know, small businesses, it took the longest time for me in this round of business to admit to a client that I had made a mistake. Like, I I wanted to make up 50 zillion excuses, but in this I don't want to say season of life. I got divorced um, eight years ago and I decided I wasn't going to lie again. I I had lived in a whole series of lies. I thought it was a way to protect myself, but I decided I wasn't going to do that. And I was shocked by how people were understanding with honesty or I don't know if sympathetic, empathetic, they appreciated the honesty a lot more than they would have even believed the excuses or the cover-ups. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And this is this is what you, what you've hit on is really the essence of what I do, and it's creating a culture. I I actually go in and create a culture, hmm. and 
the first way to do that is to look at what's deficient and people go, well, that must be really hard. Well, when we look at the conversation that you and I both just had, Kim, it's a case of, okay, whether it be your work or relationship, you didn't feel safe to actually admit that you'd made a mistake or you were hiding in that relationship, not saying anything or not being honest with yourself because it wasn't safe to do so because of what you're exposed to. Absolutely. This is no different to an organisation or a corporation because you've got to feel safe in there and you can only feel safe even if you're a one-man band, if you're in a relationship with a husband or wife or in an organisation, if the people in it support you and you know their story and they're prepared to be vulnerable with you. Listeners, I hope you're listening. That was huge. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, how many times do we see businesses that, I mean, I hear stories from the the retail chain that my husband works in, and there's none of that. And it's just sad, because if they were more honest about where the struggles are happening in that organization, everybody would be so much happier. But they're overlooking it's like the bosses are too scared to address the issues because the employees have been there so long and they know how to do this stuff. But at this point, the employees don't want to do this stuff because they don't have to, or at least That's they right. don't think so. And, and then there's other levels like my husband is managerial level and he's having to put up with the trash. I hate to say it because the even upper level from him won't address what they're being told and it's just like a nasty dirty chain that unless somebody finally at that upper upmost level actually says okay i'm not putting up with this bleep anymore nothing's ever going to get better exactly exactly and what strikes me and this is why i've come up with my initial the way i do business because before you just go into business and go yeah yeah i can help you i actually do a survey before I even go into the business to see who's not talking to who, where the productivity's dropping down. So you've got an idea of who's not playing the game, who wants to play the game, and what the messages are in the in the culture that aren't allowing that game to be played. And that that's a very key instrument in all the successes that I've actually had. Uh, was doing or is doing that survey every time you go into a business or even before you go into a business. And I'm assuming that the game is okay. Like the game is a good game and not like a bad game here. It, it's interesting. A lot of people think that they've got to play the game one way mm. and they don't. I mean, and this is the beauty of what I do. I, I walk into the business, do the survey, have a look around, see where the communication's falling down, see who the leaders are, see who are the potential leaders, and I try and build them back up. Then. Once we get that level of safety that we're talking about back into the relationship, and it's not just occupational safety, what actually happens when you get into that relationship in business, and it doesn't have to be safety, but the business has to provide safety. And that's safety from, you know, being attacked internally, being put under pressure, all those sorts of things. Then the business turns to quality. You've got the safety in there. Then people turn on the quality button then this is where the magic starts. Once that quality and safety are humming, everyone has a sense of purpose. The boss has given a sense of direction and providing all that safety, they then turn on the innovation. And once that innovation starts, they then become their own company and then their own direction. And then their business is theirs. I can so see that. What I've been going through this growth I mean I, I've hired a couple people in the last year including one of which is my editor here on the podcast and she wasn't even hired to edit I don't even remember Lang I love you I don't remember why I initially hired you but she wanted <laughs> to, to give it a stab editing and if listeners if you've been listening for a while it's all Lang and her husband Brent and they do a fabulous job but she put herself out there and said hey can I give it a stab I was like, yeah, but I, in every organization, I feel like we need to allow that space and that freedom and that safety. Is it, is that a good use of 
I mean, yep. that people can express what they want to try. and It's perfect. And had that not happened, let me tell you, I would still be like, I just see how what you do for your clients has worked in my own business without, pardon me, Spike, this, I don't mean to undermine you, but I see how it has worked in my own business because profits have soared because I'm not doing all the editing myself. Yep. It's like, bang, allow others in the business to feel safe to express what they want and the business can explode. And it's not, I mean, it's you can't say yes to everything. Do you think that a lot, this is really generalizing, but a lot of businesses are just too rigid to see the possibilities? Oh, very much so. And it comes from a, you know, this is centuries back. This is uh, bred into us. The the innovation is, is, is not there. You know, those old traditional jobs where you got an apprenticeship like I got and you'd stay there for life. Very rarely are you going to see that. You're not indentured for the for the whole period of your life. Someone's going to have three, four, five careers along the way. And when you're forced to have that many careers, because society's doing that, not the individuals, the individual will go where they feel the safest. So they'll put in time in an organisation. Once they settle into an organisation that fits their needs, they will stay there. Now, that is true whether you've set your business up well or you haven't. <laughs> if it fits their needs, they will stay there. Whether or not they're an asset or not. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. So that, that's why you as an owner or a business person or the leader, whoever the leader is, because it doesn't have to be the owner all the time, whoever it is needs to step up and set the expectations for the business. Mm. Going back to my husband's business that he works in, they actually found one of the employees laying on the bathroom floor. Don't ask me why anybody would want to do that. Playing games on their smartphone. And didn't do anything about it. And, and that's in that specific location, which is not my husband's location, that has become like the climate. They can put their finger on their nose game when a customer walks in as their way of saying, not it, I'm not going to work with that customer. Well, how do you think the customer feels when they walk in the door and everybody puts their finger on their nose? And the only one who didn't is the one who gets up to serve you. Exactly. And I have a perfect example for this. I worked for a, uh, a client in Australia. They were, um, they were selling the top end quality fridges stoves, cooktops, ovens, and all that sort of dishwashers. And they weren't doing well. They were pretty well down the, the, the ladder in the rungs of retail uh, business. And all we did was turn around there, welcoming the customer in the door and treating them like kings and queens until they walked out the door. Then with follow-up, their business turned into the best in Australia, it's called White Goods, the best white goods company in Australia. Just by how they interacted with the customer from beginning to end. And, yes. and past the end, actually. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Because whoever, I mean, putting your finger on your nose, that that customer picks that up. Oh, my gosh, they totally do. When, when my husband told me that this was going on, the first thing I said to him was, that was what my ex-husband and I used to do when one of our kids would poop. <laughs> Sorry, I just said, you know... Like, whoever didn't put their finger on their nose first had to change the poopy diaper. And so when he told me this, this is what I'm thinking of. That customer is not a poopy diaper. That customer is somebody who potentially, they sell e-cigarette apparatus. Right. I mean, when the customer buys a whole setup, that's hundreds of dollars. So that's right. you would want them to feel comfortable and welcomed and like you're going to do anything to help them on their non-smoking journey, I mean, because it's taking them away from the conventional cigarette as we know it in the States. But that's definitely not portraying it. Yeah. Wow. No, not at all. And just with that, let's look at the, the simple business tactics. If that's a, like a, the vapor type stuff, that would also want return customers, yeah? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, because they need to refill it. And <laughs> But now they can go to the, the shop across the street. And go get the refills if they, yep. you know, if they want better service. There's a, um, 
I don't know if it's gone over to New Zealand or Australia yet, but I, I know you've spent some time in the U.S., but Chipotle restaurants? Oh, yeah, yep. You go, at least to the one in my town, you walk in and you've got five people yelling in a good way, yelling just so they can be heard over everybody who's there. Welcome to Chipotle. Hey, how are you doing? Like, and I used to work at the one in my town eight years ago, but they still, they know my name just because it's been carried on since I worked there eight years ago down through the employees who have taken on. And no, I don't go in there that often. I just want to make that clear to the listeners. But they do know who I am. Or when I place the online order and run in and get it, which is usually how it is, they know who I am. That is why I keep on going back. But I won't oh, exactly. even go into the the local branch of my husband's store just because I don't want to deal with that poop. Exactly. And why would you? I mean, no. even if it's your husband's. <laughs> yeah. No, I just now, tell him to pick it up from his shop. I give him my exactly. order. He charges it on his car and he brings it home. Oh, I don't think yeah. I've ever admitted that. Listeners, I'm a vapist. I didn't quit smoking. <laughs> wow, that just totally slipped out right there. Yes. You heard it first. Yes, on caffeine and nicotine. It's a productivity podcast. <laughs> I, I know it's not a model of self-care, but at least I'm not, you know, smoking the conventional cigarettes anymore. What is your favorite success story of any of your clients, if you're allowed to share? Or what is, maybe is one of your own personal success journeys that you've been on? Well, I've been quite fortunate because all my projects have been successful. And I can tell you it's never been me fully because I've, I've always identified people along the way that I know can step up and be the leaders. And I basically engage them to become their organisations, role models, champions, whatever word you want to use. And then basically I slip out the back door while they, they carry on and, and continue with this success. So that's that's what I do. So I'm not one of those consultants that come in and then five years later they're still there. But one of my favourite successes, and, and I don't tell it too much because it's not up there in the limelight, but... I was working down in Brazil, and once again, we were called in because there was a unreleased, um, uncontrolled release of hydrocarbons just off uh, Rio there on a, in an oil rig. And we went in to assist the organisation that wanted to improve themselves, and they were one of the businesses that really said, look, we want to be the best, and we're willing to put their, their money in the, on the table and, and their hearts in their, on their sleeves to make it happen. So there we were, we were down there. And what you actually get, you, you have this thing about expats and nationals. Now, for those that don't know what an expat, you're like your American, Australian, English, all the, the Commonwealth and uh, English-speaking type countries, and they'll be working on a rig because they've had more experience than anyone else. And the nationals will be from a country wherever you're drilling. So this was obviously Brazilians. And the Brazilians were, you know, they were feeling put off by the expats because the expats weren't understanding them. You know how when two people don't communicate well, there's there's yes. never that friendly connection. Yeah. We sat there and sat there for probably about a month going, you know, how can we fix this, this one problem? There was plenty of other problems they had, so don't worry about that. But this one problem was so unique and it just wasn't getting through. And then one day I thought, I, I thought back to my um, ex-wife because she was a, an Italian and I'm an Australian. And sometimes when we talked apples, she was here in oranges. <laughs> I'm not sure if your listeners will oh, understand. <laughs> when you were talking about not being able to, you know, communicate, I was thinking about my husband. So I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. We did not speak the same language. We were from the same hometown, but we did not speak the same language. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. I thought about this and I thought, well, you know, because we were married 25 years, we had four beautiful children. Okay, how did that all that happen? So I started to pull that apart and it was because I went out of my way because I'd realised that I couldn't communicate to her because it, the communication's always in the in the hands of the giver. So if you're trying to communicate something, if someone doesn't understand it, it's your fault. That's my belief. So I thought, okay, I'd spent years 
trying to communicate better with her, like learning Italian, going to Italy and finding out what things meant and and, and the the joys of what they've seen in the country and, and, and family and all that sorts of stuff. And then I, I started to see the connection on board the rig. There was this disconnect in those areas. So we started up, and this is really simple. Anyone can do this that runs different country people in, in their business. They come from uh, all parts of the world, Africa, China, Australia, Brazil. We started up a 37-word challenge. And what actually happened was the expats had to give 37 words that they thought the Brazilians needed to know to be better at their job. And the Brazilians exactly the same. Only 37 words, and they had to teach each other what those words were. When we've seen the list, I use this on every project that has diversity in, in races. When we've seen the list, and I'll go straight to the expats, expats had spanner, drill pipe, grease, rope, all this, a chain, all that sort of stuff. The Brazilians had respect, family, communication. Wow. Yeah, yeah, pretty big, isn't it? There's a total disconnect. And once they, you know, the, and for the Brazilians, they say, oh, hang on, these guys are just concerned about work. Whereas we want friends, we want relationships, we want community, even where we work. Mm. The day that happened, the productivity just went out the roof. Wow. Nothing changed, except everything changed. Right. Because you had people who could communicate with each other. They wanted to talk to each other. And they were actually friendly when they met each other. They smiled, greeted each other. Wow. They should use that in marriage counselling. Oh, well, that's where I was just going. You know, that fits everywhere. That If you can't do that, you haven't got communication. You haven't got, once again, that safe culture because neither is safe to express themselves because they can't. And then they get frustrated and then the other one gets upset and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's really fascinating because I did, and I'm picking on my my marriage to my ex now, I did tell him once that, you know, a kiss goodbye in the morning before he left for work was important. And, you know, just a, a text or a, a message during the day, you know, would let me know that he was thinking about, he, about me. And he's like, well, that's not really important. <laughs> and, yep. and then he's like, I need to talk to you about our budget and I need cooking. <laughs> I need you to not burn dinner. <laughs> I still burn dinner, Spike. Okay, that's not, it's not going to change. I don't like cooking. It would change if I hired a personal chef. But considering his other thing was talking about our budget and the fact that I spent too much money, that wasn't going to happen either. So there was that disconnect. Yeah. So what happens, like, is this an exercise that you pull in before you enter the teams now actually um, before you answer that i have a qu- hmm. i have another question which is sort of funny because it's i haven't watched it since i was married to him but office space have you seen that movie i, I think i've seen it once or twice <laughs> i i agree i grimace every time i watch it <laughs> uh, yeah yeah so do i just because it's linked to him but um, like they bring in consultants you know to figure out how they're going to restructure the company and who's staying and who's going but often like that's how I got introduced to consultants and it was a scary thing so how do you keep your presence from being scary to the team that's already there that's a very good question and instantly my mind went back to when I did the industrial training industrial engineering training I actually did it with the military and the military did it as a defense force not as an individual branch i.e army or navy and one of the key elements in there was actually going in and being able to talk to any size organization and diffuse the fears that people actually have. Tell them what, you know, like, for instance, if you go into an organization, most of the organizations I've seen or been into have actually had to employ more people because they're actually understaffed. And that's why the jobs and stuff weren't being done. You know, if government cutbacks, every time there's a government cutback, someone's got to do double the work. Right. And that costs them more time, which in the end costs more money. Exactly. Whereas if they just hired the one extra, sometimes just one extra person, they can get it done in half the time and it would save money. 
Yeah, it, it, it's a real catch-22 because a lot of managers, they go, you know, like they don't want to service equipment, so they'll cut back the, the maintenance. And then the, the, the manager that's in there at the time, he'll, he'll get a pat on the back because he's cut budget. The next manager that comes in, he's going to wear it in the throat or the neck because the maintenance wasn't done and now the equipment's wearing out. And it's the same with the people. The people weren't looked after. Now the people are wearing out. So there's this big vicious circle, whereas if they once again set up that culture right from the start where people feel safe, you would have someone with some some knowledge in that business come up to you and go, boss, this isn't working. We should be doing this because if you don't do that, this is going to happen. And that's what you've got to set up, that, that ability – to communicate. Even if you go in on a small project or you're there for a career, you've got to be able to set up that communication where they actually do trust you. You're blowing my mind because I can see how applicable this is all in my business now. Yeah, everyone's business. Yeah. Just over a year ago, I was hired onto a team at the same time as somebody else who was just hired on. And the two of us hit it off really well, but we were having trouble with our client who didn't want to communicate about anything and it was not a safe communication zone like try over and over again to schedule and just no shows like this is our client over trying to help the business soar it doesn't want to hear it doesn't want to hear what could be improved and it got to the point at the end where it wasn't violent for me but it was violent for the other person i was working with and i had had enough i didn't need to stick around and i actually got told by the client that i was in a place of scarcity mode when I left and I was like, whatever. But the other team member and I had very open communication, not, I mean, yes, we did talk about the client, but we also talked about what needed to be done. And we actually did take some liberties to improve some things on our own, but we really hit it off. And when I left, things got really bad for her, like verbally abused. And she ended up following me and asking if she could work with me. There you go. What does that tell you? (laughs) Yeah. And now my business has grown like the client wanted their business to grow. And I just want to say, look at that scarcity mode. Why don't you? Because exactly, I said goodbye to what wasn't working and moved on. And from what I've heard, the client has kept up their same methods and is not just not growing, but actually shrinking. So, Mm. and that's the risk that we all face if we don't, I mean, if we don't create that, that safe space. Exactly. And I I think it's really fascinating, Spike, that when you started talking about safety, you're talking about environmental safety, you know, a bit, because that's what your clients are addressing by the sounds of it. But there's so much more to safety than just environment. I mean, it's, it's not just actually like pollutants physical chemical pollutants but it's the emotional and psychological pollutants yep yep you hit the nail on the head that was one of the reasons i actually went into occupational health and safety or i start with that because i experienced exactly what you did on my projects when i first started and what i mean by that is i'd go into an organization you do all this communication that I just talked about and you get some rapport with a number of people, but everyone's seen it as change management. No one wanted to do it. And I got to a stage, I got in a company where they were actually, it was just like you just said, it was that bad. And I thought, oh, well, look, if I'm going to stay and do this job for the time that I've got to, I will try and turn their occupational health and safety and environment requirements around because they were atrocious they were really bad and so i just focused on that next thing you know i was i was the common enemy because i was health and safety then i just simply transferred that health and safety environmental issues as the enemy everyone then became united they all did a left turn quick march and off they went in the same direction together in their own industry and then because there was environmental safety, uh, like you said, chemical issues that were coming up, certain subject leaders started to appear and the leadership started to rise in the business. When I walked out of that business, all I'd done was started in there 
they'd done the rest, but they even improved. And that was a business, that was a project that I was actually going to fail in. You were actually going to what? I'm sorry? The, the project itself was going to fail. I just made a decision that I was going to make it an occupationally safer oh, place. Yeah. And and that just gave them a common enemy, let their leaders rise, and they were all heading in a common direction because of the safety issue. Mm. And that was a huge lesson, that one, you know, just getting people on board, giving them a common enemy. <laughs> right, right. Wow. What are you most excited about in the next 90 days? Next 90 days. Well, I have a uh, podcast to uh, launch in, uh, it's probably about 20 odd days. Then 90 days, I have a grandchild turning up on the doorstep. And the other thing would be to get this business to a situation where I can travel towards my grandchildren and enjoy the speaking circuit in any country I like. Oh, that sounds fabulous. So how are you setting up your own systems and support so that you can do that? Well, basically, we I went through a process because uh, when you're working with occupational health and safety and the various industries I'm, I'm doing, I'm working from aviation through to retail, oil and gas, mums and dads to Fortune 500s. So first of all, I had to look at a sliding scale so that I could start with a, uh, a mum and pop operation or a one-man helicopter organisation, and then work through to maybe your Murphy Oils or your Shells, which we've we've done. The thing there was then set that up with proof of concept so that you I knew that it actually worked. And you, you can't just do that on when you're talking this sort of stuff and, and the level. So I um, had outside auditors come into the organisations I did projects for, and they ordered them to either OSHA levels or ISO levels. I am very familiar with OSHA and ISO being in Ohio around a lot of car manufacturing plants. But for those listeners who aren't familiar, could you briefly just explain what those both mean? Okay. First of all, you have let it go for OSHA. And in um, places like Australia and and New Zealand, it's uh, WorkSafe. And in the UK, it'll be health and safety over there. But it's your government's requirement Basically, over the years, there's been so many people hurt and injured, died as a result of manufacturers, business owners not looking after their people. They have set up rules in their country and region that businesses must follow whilst hiring people to maintain their safety and the environment safety. That's probably the easiest way to do it. And that'll be an act or a regulation governed by the government of of the time. An ISO standard is basically the international standards organization throughout the world originally saw that a number of top businesses like General Electric, Mercedes and Porsche and all those sorts of things were doing something very, very well and were making lots of money. So they studied them and they looked at the processes that they were going through and they said, oh, hang on, these are all standardised. Each business has a a way of looking at controlling the information that goes into their business. They all have a standard of safety. They all have a standard of quality. They have a standard way of doing their paperwork. Even though it may not be different paperwork, it's standardised and everyone in that business and the subsidies or the sub um, stations of those businesses in different countries, different towns, all operate the same. So they put together these ISOs, and so you have ISO 9001, which is the quality. You have 18,000, that's safety. 14,000 is environmental. 31,000 is risk. So there's lots and there's hundreds of them. I think there's 120 odd. Uh, ISOs, but they are simply standards for the industry that you'd be working in. I hope that wasn't too much information. No, that's amazing, actually, because I was just interviewing a prospective team member this morning. Because my pillars are self-care systems and support, you know, it's really important to me that my team is not working nights and weekends unless they want to. Yes. And and there's no forced overtime. I'm not going to be paying my team members and midnight I need you to do this just no like I want a small business 
ISO. You know, this is a safe place to work. Your ideas will be accepted. I'm, you know, self-care is a priority in me. I'm going to have to look into that. I might be making something up here, but seriously, small businesses need their own ISO designations because I have seen a few whoppers that definitely would be a ISO negative a million. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's that's why. Remember I said the, the sliding scale? I actually came up with and developed what I call uh, bulletproof safety. And there are eight or nine, or it depends uh, what quality you want to be, whether you want to be average or, or the best in your field, nine points that you must get these right. And you will, in, in having them right, you'll be able to protect your business, which is the first thing I do is make sure that the business is protected. The next thing is the people in the business is protected and that you will be able to make profits by following the and, and increase your productivity by following those means of keeping everyone safe. Ooh, I love and that. And still following the regulations. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that we're actually working on is our standard operating procedures, which we're not using that name because it's way too formal for my team. I mean, we call ourselves Team Awesome. Okay, so standard operating procedures is way too beyond for us. But um, that way, everything is done the same way. A new person can come on without feeling like an alien from another planet because it's all right there and documented. But have you ever heard of the book Work the System by Sam Carpenter? Uh, yes, I have. have you, very good book. Very good book. And he rewards team members for suggesting improvements that act, that actually do improve the processes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many businesses don't. I know. <laughs> What's up with that? Like, <laughs> so every, every, like every application that are on my application or on my follow-up email to the initial application, I want to, like I, I've let them know, I want to grow my team with people who aren't scared to suggest their ideas or to take initiative when they see something that needs improvement. And either people are smart enough to say, yes, they do that. Or I just haven't come across anybody who won't yet. I'm still trying to figure that out. But everybody, I mean, the one person I brought on in last week totally is like that. I saw this. Can I do something about it? And the people I already have. Hey, you yeah. need to be doing this, Kim. Can I do it? Uh, yeah. I mean, even Lang, as I already mentioned, can I give podcast editing a stab? Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. So listeners, I want you to be listening today. Are you giving your team, if you have a team yet, the opportunity to be a real contributor to you and your business? And remember, it is you too, because everything that your team does that you don't have to do anymore is allowing you time for self-care. And that's really important. Kim, can I just chuck something in here? Please. You and your listeners should really, what Kim just said then was very significant because if you if your team is small, and that's you, you, you've still got to be looking after yourself. The thing is you're creating, what, you, what Kim inadvertently has done in what she just told me or us just then was that she's setting up a safe environment for herself She's setting up a safe environment for her people, but there was another, there was a couple, and I shouldn't have said but, so she set up a, um, a safe environment for her people, and in addition, what she's done is also set up that link. Remember I mentioned before, safety, quality, and innovation? They're coming to you with innovative ideas, so you are well on the way to creating that culture. You're already setting the leadership. You're already sending a set sense of direction and they have a sense of belonging. Once those things are in place, you can only go one direction and that's forward and up. Absolutely. I just want to ask you, like, I know you, your guest on, quote, my podcast. I don't really consider it my podcast. I'm the host, but it's the people's podcast, right? But I'm going to share a quick story. I have a Facebook group, listeners, I don't know if you've realized this, it's called Virtual Assistant Jobs. As of right now, it has almost 18,000 members. It's free. I'm not trying to advertise the group. However, one of my team members was helping me manage it. And she's like, Kim, you really should be monetizing this group in some way. 
Like I wasn't looking at it, the money. She's like, can we create a, a guide or something? And he just put an upsell out there. I'm like, well, sure. <laughs> like it was like, I felt almost silly for not having thought of it before. And she's like, well, can I just go ahead and build a landing page? Like, yeah, of course, go ahead. Let me tell you that that one idea that she felt safe providing me with immediately turned into like five to $600 of income. And this was off a group that I had built four years ago and hadn't really thought anything of doing anything with. I never intended it to get this big. And to this day, several times a week, I get several sales. So every week, listeners, this uh, this little lead magnet is not, you know, paying all my household bills, but it's definitely paying for all the software that it takes to run the whole sequence. And it's because my team member felt safe offering this suggestion i mean if i don't look at it as it paying for the software that it takes to run it it's paying their salary or not their salary their their wage for them to be working for me now and they i don't want to pinpoint gender because you know we're um it's the one that sort of followed me over here from the the bad client but um you know they they feel free and safe to bring future ideas so, yeah, I I don't mention that team member just because there is that respect there. Like, we're not going to get into that safety crossing line of saying one of my team members didn't feel safe with another client, right? Yeah, good. That's good, and yeah. that's and that's respect on your side as well. So that and that and that's good because once again, you you that little thing you just did put another brick in the wall that. Well, another brick in the bridge, building that um, ability to communicate and know that people are safe. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important to me that my whole team be safe. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Spike, you have fed my brain and I know you have fed the brains. Brains? I know what I'm trying to say. I, I think it's just I need more coffee. <laughs> people have to have another cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you you have inspired the listeners. There's a better way of saying it. So thank you so much for all your valuable insight and inspiration and just your stories that you've shared with us today. Thank you. I'm actually well, you. curious. My husband and I get along great. I mean, I'm remarried, but I'm curious now what his 37 words are, because why wait until there's an issue when I could just do a little quick quiz with him. What are your 37 words? And I'll give you mine. And let's see where we take it. Yeah. Mm. I am so curious. Mm. Yeah. He won't be putting down you cook. I I can guarantee (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah. Where can listeners learn more about you and what you do and connect with you? Well, they can go to spikeedwards.com. And any of your listeners, um, we've talked about the um, Bulletproof Safety. They can have a free 20-minute flak jacket assessment, which we can just do what we did today, chat, find out where their vulnerabilities are because they're not that hard to see once you start talking to people. And then, like I said, in August, we'll be starting up our own podcast uh, called Bulletproof Your Business. So they can find that on air. Oh, I love it. Listeners, we will put a link in the show notes at thekimsutton.com forward slash 438. And I want to strongly encourage you to go listen and listen, rate, review, subscribe to the Bulletproof Business. Did I get the name right, Spike? That's it. Uh, Bulletproof Your Business. Bulletproof Your Business. Because every one of your ratings and reviews and subscriptions is highly appreciated and even by... Uh, hosts like me so if you haven't already I'd love a rating and review as well but Spike thank you so much for being here today I've enjoyed every mo- every moment oh fantastic so have I it's been great it's good to um, hear like-minded business people because you can't stray far from the track it, the truth is the truth oh you're so right there do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners Actually, it's a workshop I run, and I'm not selling the workshop, but if any business takes this on, they will see the improvement, and I call it the SEEK method, and that's S-E-E-C, 
with a big plus sign over the C. The first one is, as a business owner, be able to tell your story. If you can't do that, you will not gain that trust and that safety that we've been talking about all through this process. Another one, Kim, is then set your expectations, just like you were doing with your team at the moment. You, you're setting those expectations. This is the bar we're going to play at. And if you don't want to play at that, well, hey, you know, that's well and good, but it's probably best you do it somewhere else. Then the other, next E is engage. You've got to engage them, just like you're doing now, Kim, engaging your, your listeners, engaging your team, letting them do stuff. And then the C with the big plus sign is communicate your wins in a positive manner, even if they're not big wins, even your little ones. But make sure that you're spending that effort to spin a positive, um, forward-moving, encouraging message in everything you do. And you do that, and you are going to be up there in that 700% over the 10 years that Harvard University just says this is what these businesses do and that's all you got to do. And I've seen it time and time again. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. Thank <laughs> you.